welcome to Over the Edge Podcast with Paige Ray. I am Paige. And this is a weekly chat about pushing creative boundaries, making big moves without knowing all of the answers, and jumping off a cliff to our dreams while figuring out how to build a plane on the way down. So find your favorite chair, grab your coffee, and get ready to live the dream without losing your mind. Let's go over the edge together, friends. You are in for a treat today because we have an amazing guest on Over the Edge podcast, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. I've known Emily Kim for a few years now, and she has built an incredible business and has a specific kind of expertise that is going to help you as a creative expand and just be more confident overall in what you're doing. So let me tell you a little bit about Emily. Emily Kim is a former software engineer turned brand photographer, videographer, and creative business strategist based in Boston. Over the last five years, she's helped more than 100 entrepreneurs revamp their online presence through creative brand photo and video. And that part's so key. We know how important video is these days, you guys. Emily offers her photo and video clients a totally unparalleled experience with the Sunlight Space, which is a creative lifestyle studio for rent in Silicon Valley. And I highly recommend it. The space is so cute and so accessible. It's such a great backdrop. So definitely go check that out, by the way. And now Emily is combining her business expertise from her MBA, her corporate experience at a Fortune 5 company, you heard that, Fortune 5 company, and her years of experience in photography to consult other creative business owners on how to build sustainable, profitable businesses. You're definitely going to want to hear what she has to say. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for such a lovely introduction. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Well, one of the things that I've really seen you excel at um, and that you're just so highly skilled at that I think that will help a lot of people is your ability to build community. I know that everybody that's in your community that is kind of in your brand world is highly engaged, highly interested in whatever you have to say or talk about or offer. And so I want to kind of start there. I want to talk about community a little bit and Let's start with what are your overall thoughts on building community? How are things looking for you today? Yeah, that is a great question. So one thing that when it comes to community building, it's something that I didn't realize it was a skill until people started telling me that. (laughs) For me, I feel like it's something that I've always done since I was younger, you know, I always am putting together these little groups, like crafting parties, even tea parties in my, you know, teenage years up until now. And now it looks like building a creative community for entrepreneurs and creative entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And I think the biggest thing for me is just really talking to people and not pretending like you're talking to a screen. Like there's somebody on the other side of the screen that you're talking to and I feel like with a lot of the marketing education out there right now, that's something that gets lost frequently. Oh, absolutely. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, just with our online lives in general, how quickly we forget that it's actual people on the other side of that screen. How do you, how do you engage with your community or how do you talk, how do you continue conversations with your community in a meaningful way in a world that is just increasingly forgetting that like once you, the other side of that screen holds a person too, like how do you, how do you hold that standard in your community? So I always ask about them. I feel like, especially with the way social media feels, it can feel one-sided, but when I'm, you know, recording an Instagram story or recording an Instagram live, even if nobody is there at the time, at least somebody is going to see it, right? So I feel like I'm always thinking about, okay, who is on the other side of this? And the biggest thing too that has helped me is getting off of the screen and going in person. So then you're actually putting a face to the name of that little person who, you know, viewed your 20 second Instagram story. And that is a really, I mean, meeting people in person is the best way to stay connected to them. And that has really helped me when I'm on Instagram stories, which I keep saying that, but I feel like that's where I've built a lot of this community. Uh, But meeting people in person and thinking about them as I am recording something or filming something or putting a piece of content out there has helped a lot in that aspect. 
I love that. Well, so let's talk about community in the context of building a following or an audience on these different social media platforms. How do you think of community versus the like versus the word audience or following or something like that because we see a lot of people refer to following audience etc how how do you feel about those terms that is something that has been bothersome to me lately actually (laughs) the term audience or followers or build your target audience or here's your target um uh, or ideal audience or anything like that i don't know and once i saw it i can't unsee it everybody i feel like talks about oh i don't know how to build an audience i don't know how to build a following anything like that when it comes to social media but really we're not out here building audiences like i'm not out here trying to hold a concert or you know (laughs) i'm trying to talk to people and when i work with my clients you know they get brought into the fold into the community. So I don't know, it just, it rubs me the wrong way when I see the word audience as opposed to community. And this is like a new development for me. It's not like, you know, I came out starting a business with this feeling, but I think that is the disconnect for people who are small business owners who want to use social media, the forefront of your focus your goal of social media should be to build a community and not to build an audience and not to sell which you know we hear that all the time but really when i get on social media i'm here to talk to people i work from home by myself all day (laughs) so really for me i think that has been a huge help in building the community is that i like seriously i'm trying to talk to people like i don't want to just sit here and try and sell stuff to people like i want friends you know Yes. And what strikes me always is people who are like, even if they they'll hit the follow button on Instagram or whatever platform that they are engaging with you, but they don't people out there don't think of themselves as I'm a follower or an I'm an audience member, right? They are not carrying that term around in their head. So if you're thinking that, like if people who are thinking that, like thinking of it in terms of audience, in terms of follower follower count, I feel like it's the difference between what you were saying, like being on stage, like having a concert or being on stage in front of people versus sitting down and talking to people. Like that's the difference in feeling of what you're bringing to your community. Like if they feel like they're sitting down for coffee with you and chatting versus if you're setting up a feeling where they're like, oh, I'm just in an, if I'm just in an audience watching her speak on stage, those are two very different feelings and very different relationships that you're building in, in your, in your social media worlds. And I really think it's fabulous what you've built in your world. Cause it always feels like sitting down and having a cup of coffee with you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And part of it, I feel like I've taken your lead on it because I remember when I first started following, when I first (laughs) rather connected with you on Instagram, I feel like very quickly you sent me a voice memo or a video message and I was just like, whoa, that's so cool. And I have started to incorporate more of that too, because it's so unexpected you know, people don't expect you to try and talk to them. And it's almost like people are surprised by it. And <laughs> yes, yes, it's so sometimes true. In a good way. Sometimes, like, yeah, yeah. And sometimes they're like, I don't know if I want to talk to you. I'd rather just lurk, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I tell people, you know, I'm going to send you a voice memo. I don't feel that you have to voice memo me back, but this <laughs> is just easier, you know? <laughs> like, I'd rather just talk to you than try to craft this message And it's just easier. It just makes, it makes more sense. Like this is how I'm going to talk to someone when I speak. It's so true. And because when I originally started sending voice memos, because I always appreciate when people take the time to respond to anything that I put online or put anywhere. If somebody is taking the time and energy to write kind words, then I'm definitely going to take the time and energy to respond back to them. And I started doing voice memos to accommodate my ADHD because it's just easier for me. But when, but when I saw the way that it connects with people in such a different way to have somebody hear your voice, it's incredible. The, the, the way all of my online relationships shifted in such a good way. When I started doing voice memos in like the Instagram DMs versus is just nothing's wrong with texting back, but I just saw such a deeper relationship 
like there was space for such a deeper connection once I started doing voice memos. Not that we got there faster, but we it just facilitated a, a, a conversation that felt like it had uh, more nuance to it faster than if it's me trying to figure out what's the right word that I want to text here. So anyway, it's interesting when you start to actually bring your real voice into a conversation online, the way people connect with it and the way you build relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Yes, I love that. So with that, once you start building community, you are, so you're a fantastic photographer. First, I want to say that I feel like I've gotten away from that. And I want to highlight for everybody, like Emily is a very talented photographer and videographer. So you should definitely go look at all of her information. You can find her. I'm going to say this early, but you can find her on Instagram at emilykim.co. And that is also her website or emilykimphotography.com. And highly recommend going to check out her work. And one of one of the most amazing things you've done with your business that now you're bringing to other creatives is your business acumen. You are a highly skilled business person. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I have always been an entrepreneur at heart. When I was in high school, I ran an Etsy store. I can't really do anything for fun without trying to monetize it, which is both a blessing and a curse. (laughs) (laughs) On one hand, it's great because it comes naturally to me. Something that I like to say is other people's zones of genius, zone of geniuses, no, zones of genius (laughs) Uh are, you know, copywriting, photography, videography. And while I do love that and I would say it is maybe a zone of genius, but more of a zone of competence for me. My zone of genius is running a business. Everyone else's zone of genius is doing the thing that they do. So it could have been anything, honestly. If I kept doing web design, which I did in a past life, I could have easily seen myself running a web and branding design business or agency, something like that. So it's always something that has come naturally to me. And it actually wasn't until I met you and worked with you that everything just connected. It, it, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like, and I think you knew this was always within me, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until we worked together that I connected the dots from corporate to my MBA, to running a business, because for whatever reason, those were very disjointed for me. Then we worked together and I was like, wait a minute. I, I know what I do. Like, I know what to do this. Yes. (laughs) It's it's all here. (laughs) That it's so funny because I think a lot of people, especially people who would consider themselves multi-passionate, I think a lot of people walk around feeling like, okay, well, I love this over here. I love this over here, but I don't know. They don't come together in any sort of way, which isn't true. There's often a thread there. We just have to pull on it a little bit. If we can find the thread and pull on it a little bit, it all kind of of like comes together. Um, So tell me a little bit about how you're bringing that expertise like to help other creatives and how you think of that in your mind, because I feel like it's so fun what you do, the way that you run your business and the way that you talk to other people about running their business. How do you think about, how do you think about that aspect of kind of teaching and leading in your mind? So I am a, I'm a former engineer, used to be a software engineer. I'm a very left brained person. So when it came to running a creative business, I almost felt a little bit of imposter syndrome when it comes to photography, because I don't know. I always feel like everybody is naturally more creative for me, but for me, I know my largest biggest strength is thinking in systems and engineering and turning everything into a system. So that is what I really leaned on in my business in particular. Once I started working with a lot of clients, I would always get feedback that people would say, you're so organized. I love how like systematic you are in approaching the photography session because you know, with creatives, we have such big ideas. Sometimes it's hard to rein it in and communicate that idea in a system. And that is my skill set. So when it comes to teaching business, I just put my little systems hat on and I think, <laughs> okay, how can we systematize running a business? Because I think for the vast majority of creatives, what happens is we love photography. We start doing photography. Eventually somebody gives me money for photography. Oh, now I have a business. Like, what do I do with this? And so we're always coming at it from the artist's side and from this, the perspective of a creative instead of from the perspective of a 
business owner. So for me, when I am teaching business, I never want to put anyone in a box. I never want to say this is the only way to run a creative business. So how I like to explain it is we all have unique recipes for creating a profitable business that works for us because we are all unique individuals. The key, and what I said earlier, it's it's within us. We know what that recipe is. We just have to pull these different levers and try out these different things until we find the right combination of levers that works for us. Ooh, I love that so much because you're totally right. I think that a lot of creatives love the like love what they do, right? I love being a photographer. I love being a watercolor artist. I love being a graphic designer. But then you then you realize even if you're not showing up one day and going, oh, I want to start a business with that. But no matter what, even if you're just saying, you know what, I'm a freelancer and I want to freelance my services, you still have to operate as though you're a business in order to bring in clients and it, it becomes an overwhelming task for creatives to feel like, okay, well, first I have to build a business and then I get to be creative, right? Um, and then I think a lot of people have a thought in their head that, and I feel like this was a bigger conversation in the 90s, but I think a lot of creatives have a thought in their head that like, if I put money, if I, if I build a business structure around this, then I'm selling out with my creativity, right? But that's not true. It's not it. It's as simple as you're creating a structure that works for building a business with what your creative skill is. And it's just a matter of pulling the right levers. And I think that's so, so valuable. Um, okay. So, okay. Here's my question. Here's my next question is when you're thinking of it like that, what do you feel like creatives are typically missing in their business? Like what's a lever that people could be pulling that they either miss or they avoid? Ooh, that is a great question. I actually have put it into a framework called the five pillars of profit. <laughs> so the five pillars, and I just recently put this together. Um, it is your offer, your community, your systems, your craft, and your message. Ooh, very happy that I got all of that in one <laughs> right. um, And where most creatives focus is their craft. I see this all the time in photographer land where people say, I just need to build my portfolio. I just need to get this lens. I just need one more like killer piece in my portfolio that will attract the right client. And then I'm going to bring in a lot of business, but your craft is just one lever that you have to pull. So yes, we all have to be good at that. And that isn't something that I teach specifically because you know, everybody, I'm sure everybody is already very talented and skilled at their craft. It's the other four levers that need the pulling. And to the extent to which you focus on them depends on, you know, where you are in your business. And that's how we get to that unique recipe. As for which one is the most needed, honestly, I think it's community. Mm. And community and message are very closely intertwined. But yeah, bringing it back to community, if you don't have people, if you don't have your people, you're not really going to book clients, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Like if you're an artist hanging a painting in a gallery, the reason people come in and are enchanted by the work that you've got on that wall isn't just because you're good at what you do. It's because you've crafted a message or maybe you would want to call it in your mind a story or something like that. You've crafted... Um, you've crafted a story or something that connects with people from that work of art, from that craft. And that is, that's in, and in all ways, it's, it's inseparable. Like your message is inseparable from your work because there has to be a reason for people to connect and identify with what you do. Because I think that we think in our head as creatives, ideally I'll be able to show up and people will want to hire me because I'm good at what I do, but that's not actually what it is in the end. Don't we wish it could be that? Then we could just strive to be the best at what we do. But 
that's not really how our clients or people who work with us, it's not really how they make the decision. Oftentimes it's, yes, you're, you, they want good work, but also they want to identify with that work. They want to feel like they're a part of the story that you're able to tell for them. And so I think message is such a powerful lever. And I also think that people get a little nervous around message, right? It's hard to stand out with it. Um, but you also, but, but you also, if you do stand out with it, it, it could be a little nerve wracking. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I feel like you had something uh, you wanted to say there. Oh no, no, no! But I, I totally, totally agree with that. But yeah, it, it and it's overwhelming too because all of a sudden, you know, you go from oh, I love photography and I love working with people and taking photos of people to oh, you mean I have to look at all of these other things too yes. to run a business? And at first, you think oh yeah, 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 it's going to be easy. I'm going to take pictures. People are going to pay me. It's going to be great. <laughs> And then you open the door of running a business and all of this other stuff just comes pouring out the floodgates. And it's a lot, it's overwhelming. And another thing that I talk about a lot, and maybe, okay, you asked earlier, what is the one thing that people are missing? What I think is the connection that everybody inherently has because we're all creatives, right? We don't get better at our skill without practicing our skill. We didn't all of a sudden, you know, take a photo and become the best photographer ever. Like that's not how it worked. We all sucked at first. <laughs> it's so and true. Got better. And I think the missing thread here is that when it comes to business, what I see happen a lot of the times is that we try one thing, it doesn't work. And we just decide this, this isn't for me. I am not, I, I can't market, social media doesn't work for me, Instagram doesn't work for me, insert whatever, it doesn't work for me, but they only try it once. And something that I've been saying a lot lately is the phrase iteration over perfection, as opposed to progress over perfection, because I find progress to be a little ambiguous, not very tangible. Mm -hmm. Iteration means we try one thing, it doesn't work, okay, try it again. Same thing with riding a bike, with playing piano and with all this business education out there, using the piano example, we are not going to get better at playing the piano by consistently watching piano playing tutorials. It doesn't mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you don't practice playing piano, you're not gonna get any better at playing piano, which we know, we know that as creative, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to business, somewhere that thread gets lost. Ooh. So we have to practice all of these different business things, your sales process, marketing yourself, talking about what you do, your website, it's all iterative. It's not a one and done thing, just like photography, art, watercolor, copywriting, whatever your skill may be, mm -hmm. you have to practice to get better at it. Mm -hmm. This is so true. I, I see this a lot is I see creatives often putting a new, a new something out in the world, a new offer, a new service, whatever that looks like. And it doesn't sell out right away. And maybe it only sells a few spots or maybe it doesn't sell anything. But I see a lot of people get frustrated when they launch it the first time and nothing comes from it. And they think to themselves, I'm a failure. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants me. I have to go back to the drawing board. I need to hide for a little bit and then I'll just do something else. But it's but that's not it at all. It, you do have to launch something a few times. You do have to get it in front of people multiple times. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Like the first time I hosted mini sessions, I lost money. <laughs> like, <laughs> negative money that happened. Mm -hmm. But now after having done it many, many, many times, <laughs> I can launch a mini session day and it sell out. And I know exactly when it's going to sell out, what it's going to look like because I've done it so many times. Mm -hmm. When it comes to business education, because there's so much noise out there, all people focus on is the success, the, oh, learn how to, you know, book out mini sessions and it, you'll learn how to do it in 30 days, which is great. By all means, it works for some people, but really you have to find out what works for you. And the only way you're going to do that is by trying it, probably failing a couple of times and then trying again. We didn't all just learn how to ride a bike without training wheels. And all of a sudden it, we balanced and went on the hill and didn't crash. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. It's the same concept. 
This is so true. I've had this happen. I can think of at least two of my biggest offers I've ever had in my own business. I ran a mentorship, a one-on-one mentorship program for about five years. And the same thing with my first ever, my signature offer for years that I still offer, my branded photo shoot offer, which is, I used to call it my brand story back when I launched it in like 2018. But it was the same, it was the same path for both of them. I launched my, the mentorship program, I think in 2019, uh, because people had requested it, but it took six months still to fill it. I had a few people ask for it. And I said, yes, here's what the program would be. Here's what the cost would be. And I think at the time the cost was like maybe between 12 and $1,800. It was, it was not, it was not a ton, but it was a new offer. And so the people who had asked for it said, oh, you know what? Not in my budget, but I, I kept having it. I kept having it out there. Right. And it was six months of talking about it and promoting it before somebody booked into it. And that was, I think, 20, 20, 2018 or 2019. But by the time 2020 came around, I had opened that program so many times by the time the third or fourth time that I opened it, it sold out within 24 hours. And I didn't even have to do sales calls. Like people were buying it at a $4,000 price point online without getting on a sales call with me. And that's because I had established trust. I had shown results, but I had to do that. I had to launch it and talk about it over and over and over again before it got to the place where it filled really easily. And it was the same with my brand story offer, photo shoot offer. The first nine months I offered that in 2019, crickets, scary, scary crickets. And then all of a sudden, August 20, no, sorry, 2018. It's (laughs) the last five years have been a blur, but August, 2018, I've been talking about this offer for nine months and only intermittently booking it. But August comes around and suddenly I'm fully booked for the next 18 months for the next year and a half. Like I was shooting multiple times a week and it's because I did not give up on talking about that offer. And I knew that offer was a good one. I knew it was something that people wanted, but it took time to get established in the market. It took time to build trust around it because Not only was it a new offer, but I was a new person to the scene in a few different kinds of ways. And so when you see people launch these offers that fill these new offers for them that fill immediately, they're usually somebody that's been around for a while and has already established trust with their audience and their community. Oh my God, I just did it. I just said audience (laughs) instead of community. (laughs) We're trained to. We're trained to say it. (laughs) Exactly. That is... So, so um, I guess validating to hear because Good. for me, I feel like I've always been that person who just like put something out there, done, booked everyone. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I if only if only it were that easy. Um, and right now, I'm in the middle of that shift again. I have I have shifted my own business to to uh, to build on some of my past offers, but build on it in completely new ways. And it is taking a moment to get my foot established in this new kind of arena. And so staying with that and having page, it's it's different now because I, I know that it's going to take time to get it established. But then back then when I was first launching these things and I didn't understand how long it took to get established, it was making me panic. I was scared. I was worried all of the time. Um, how do you speak to your the creatives that you work with and the people in your programs? How do you speak to them about that point, the point where you kind of have to stay the course and you're looking for, what did you call it? Instead of progress, you said you used, which word iteration. did you use? Iteration. How do you speak to them about sticking with the iteration of things? Well, I say that over and over again until they start repeating it back to me, which is great. <laughs> um, and awesome. honestly, that phrase has helped a lot. I think that mindset shift alone has been very beneficial because before it was always like oh, progress over perfection or just keep going. It's going to be okay. Now I really emphasize, okay, you put one iteration out there. Let's look at what happened. Let's look at the data. Let's put our engineering hats on, look at the data see what did you do what did what worked about it what didn't work about it tweak it do it again and now it's honestly so amazing to see because even after just one call of talking about that topic i have people inside my program who will launch something say okay these are the results here's here's the pros here's the cons here's what we're going to do next time and i'm like great that is how all successful businesses operate and also something that when i worked with you you pulled it out of my brain i had it i just wasn't (laughs) connecting the dots 
But something that I did in college, another community that I ran, um, I was part of this program where a bunch of engineers would, we were in this business incubator and I was just leading the program. And what we would do every single week, they came to this incubator, this weekly meeting with their very sciencey, very engineering product idea, like drones for agriculture kind of stuff. And what we would do is they would go out and talk to potential customers and buyers every single week. What you called the ideal client interviews, which I had done in oh, a past yeah. life, but did not connect it to my photography business. <laughs> but every week they would go out and say, here's our product. Would you use it? Why or why not? And come back with the data. We would present the data, synthesize on it, go out again. We'd iterate, come out with, okay, if this prototype isn't it, what do we need to change to make it work? We would go out again and do it again and just keep doing that until eventually everyone was like, yes, this is the product. Like, this is what we want. And we have to do the same things in our business. Yes. Um, yes. I feel like I didn't answer your question. No, I remember what you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so really it's all, it's all always a work in progress. And just because yes. somebody buy doesn't mean that you are a failure. It just means we have to look at the data. Objectively, we have to separate ourselves from our work, which is really, really, really hard to do as a creative because we're all very passionate people. We are all very connected to our work, but it's not even your work that you're separating it from. You're, you're separating yourself from the business side of it. Mm -hmm. So take yourself out of it. We're all learning. Mm -hmm. Whatever people have feedback, it is not a reflection on you. It is a reflection on the business and you are not your business. Yes. Yes. Really hard <laughs> to yes. separate as solopreneurs. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. It's all looking at the data objectively, which takes, again, takes practice to not be personally offended. Mm -hmm. I still am personally offended when I ask for that <laughs> and I have to sit on it for a little bit and mm -hmm. then just build that awareness of, okay, I might be offended right now, but I know this isn't a reflection on me. It is a reflection on how they are perceiving this offer or this piece of marketing or whatever I am putting out there. So that was a long winded way to say, I think one of the biggest skills to dealing with this is building that awareness of, okay, somebody is giving me feedback. I'm asking for feedback. They are giving it to me and it is not a personal attack yes. on me. Exactly. It is. And that is so hard to keep in mind because yes, you have to kind of divorce yourself from the personal parts, the, the part that you take personally in your business, right? Which is extra hard because as creatives, our work feels very personal. We put so much of ourselves into it. And even though, I mean, I just myself as an example, like I logically, I know this and I've told myself this for years, um, you know, don't take the data personally, but you know what? I don't want to see my email list unsubscribes. I will not look. I don't want to know because it will hurt my feelings and it has never stopped hurting my feelings. So I don't want to know. <laughs> so I don't look. And while I should look deeper, I I do look deeper at the overall numbers for like, for example, for my email list, but I'm going to wait a few weeks after I send the email out. Like I don't want to see it the day after because I'm still too connected with it. And it takes me that time to kind of step back and say, no matter what the numbers are, it's not personal. And I'm, and I'm rare. Once I finally do look at the numbers, I'm rarely, I'm rarely like disappointed by them. I always go, oh yeah, I feel good about this, but it is, it's really hard to not take it personally. Um, so I totally understand that. Yeah. Email and subscribes are also something that I do not look at. Maybe quarterly I'll look at it. And then I, I don't, I never, ever, ever look at who unsubscribed. That is just a recipe. Exactly. For disaster. Exactly. Oh, that's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It also doesn't even matter because once I sent out an email, I had a past client unsubscribe. So immediately I spiraled. I was like, oh no, she hates me. She hates everything I've delivered. All is terrible. Mm -hmm. Then she books me the next week. So you never oh, know what funny. people are. I know, right? Exactly. It, people just want to clean up their inboxes. I, That's exactly I it. It's yeah. like, We take it personally, but nobody means it personally. It truly. And I'm same way. I'll look at the numbers for unsubscribes. I will not look at the people that unsubscribe. Like I, I, I will, I'll spiral. Um, and I don't think I'll ever stop. I think, I don't think I'll ever not like, 
overthink it. Um, so that stop gap of like, I just don't look at the specific people who unsubscribed is my best, <laughs> my best like way of approaching that. Anyway, I know that's uh, hyper specific, but I just totally agree. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's- and I want to emphasize for people, um, how I want to emphasize for people that, um, like Emily knows this so well because you have started multiple businesses. And so when you talk about pulling the right levers, you're not just talking about, oh, I built a photo business really well. You built multiple photo businesses in multiple cities. So I know you started as a photographer in Silicon Valley. You've added videography. You opened a studio. And now you're across the country. You're starting an East Coast um, version of your business. So tell us a little bit about what it's like to build multiple businesses and to open a photo studio. Yeah, it is a little scary building a bi-coastal business. I did not know what it was going to look like and what was going to happen. I still don't really know what's going to happen because it's pretty new, but at a high level, how my business is running. So Bay Area brand photography has always been a very consistent revenue stream. I love working with Bay Area business owners. And my options when I moved to Boston, I was like, okay, I can either stop taking Bay Area bookings completely, which seemed like it didn't make any sense because right now, currently, if you Google Bay Area brand photographer, my website's number one. So those, like, I I didn't want to lose that, you know? Mm -hmm. So my next option was, okay, I can come back quarterly and serve people quarterly and plan for that, but it is a long flight. It is like six and a half hours. I could get, I could be in Spain. (laughs) (laughs) So I still am coming back to the Bay Area periodically, but not as often as I thought I was going to, because I personally just cannot handle that much travel Mm -hmm. in my schedule. And my next option was something that had been on the brain for a while, which was expanding and hiring a lead photographer and videographer, which I have done. Her name is also Emily. Shout out. Not confused at all. Um, but she is super awesome. We were friends. You know, she's so talented and so skilled. And we also have very complementary skills, which is great. Like I said, I am more systems oriented. So when I am approaching a photo shoot, I'm like, these are the shots that you need for the website. This is the composition. Like, this is exactly what needs to happen. And she will take those ideas and put her own creative twist on it. Which is, again, what I felt was something that I was maybe not lacking, but I'm always working on. And I feel like she has that creative eye that I don't have until after I deliver the photos. And I'm like, I wish I got this one thing, but she has that, which is amazing. Um, So that is how we are currently managing Emily Kim photography. (laughs) We're a bike. I'm shooting out here. She's shooting in the Bay Area. It's great. And we also still have the sunlight space which is our studio rental what happened with the sunlight space it was actually the catalyst for me leaving my corporate job um i had always in the back of my brain you know this too i had always wanted to open a photography studio in my brain it was on my like three to six year roadmap and you were like no 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 let's talk about it being on your one year roadmap. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, uh, it's sooner than you think. (laughs) Yeah. I I thought that was absolutely crazy. Turns out you were right on the money with that. (laughs) And literally a year later, I came across the space and I was just doing research. It's what I told myself, quote unquote research. I wanted to look at spaces, see what commercial leasing looked like. I came to the space. It's the only studio I saw signed the lease the next day, quit my job. I like put in my two weeks notice. Like that's that's a good day. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I did plan for it though because this had already been stewing in my brain. So for me, just financially planning, I knew I had enough saved to make it a year and to cover rent for a year. Even if all else failed, if I like didn't make any money on the studio, it was going to be okay. So I was in a fortunate position, and I had planned enough that that was possible for me. So in my brain, I also knew, okay, it is highly unlikely that I am going to, you know, totally flip upside down with the studio because Mm -hmm. I know how to run a business. I know how to run this community. It is a little scary because I haven't run this business specifically, but 
it ended up working out great. So the way the sunlight space works is we use it for our own shoots for Emily Kimco. And we also rent it out to other local photographers, videographers, production companies, um, sometimes small workshops, small like events, stuff like that. And it's an hourly rate. So people can rent it, you know, for a couple of hours a day, however long they need it. And it's been going great. We're at the point now to where it pays for itself and more. It's a profitable business on its own, which is crazy to say, but that's incredible. Let's highlight um, for everybody because you, how long has the Sunlight Studio been open? Um, since around August of 2021. So two, a little over two years now. Wow. So to have a brick and mortar be, I mean, and I know it's not like a retail space. It's, it's a, it's a photo studio, but it is a physical location to have a physical location be profitable after, I mean, it was profitable sooner than, sooner than this, right? Yes. Sooner than I expected. I had anticipated, okay, maybe two years will break even and cover startup costs. And it ended up happening I think in like eight, eight to 12 months. So a lot faster than I expected. That's I, 12 months. 12 months. Yeah. So wow. um, you're schedule. <laughs> That's incredible. And I also think like, th- I think it speaks, I think it's important to like put a few things in context for people who want to be creatives and want to run a business, but don't know how to plan for it because what, what I see a lot specifically, I used to see this all this, all the time in like creative entrepreneur Facebook groups is I would see people post and say, I just can't do it anymore. I hate this job. I'm quitting today and I'm going to follow my dream. I'm going to go be a creative. And what I would see underneath that post in the comments is people going, yes, follow your dream. Absolutely. Like things like that. And that, and it's good to cheer people on, of course. However, I was always the person that would drop in and be like, this is fantastic. But also, do you have six months to two years of emergency funds saved just in case, right? Because there is a financial planning aspect to it because- like you're talking about, you were you were hoping that you would break even on a physical location within two years, and it happened after about eight to 10 months. And that is huge because it does take time to get these things off the ground, to get our businesses and our offers in front of people, to get people interested, to get people booking. It takes time and it, you, it always takes longer than people expect it will. And so I, I think it's a really, I think it's really wonderful to have this perspective for people. Like what should you expect when it comes to starting and running a business, um, whether it is a service-based business without a ton of overhead or whether it's a physical location that you're going to have monthly financial maintenance on how long, how long do you tell people like we've, we're playing the long game here? How do you kind of put that into perspective for people that you're working with? In terms of like how long it takes to build a profitable business. Yeah. How do you speak to people about that? Cause I know people come in and it's like, I want to, I want to start this now. I want to be profitable now. I want to pay my bills now. So how do you kind of contextualize that for people? Yeah. Yeah. So I, feel like a lot of messaging out there is I hit multiple six figures in 18 months or, you know, Mm -hmm. hit whatever number in whatever months. And on the outside, we're like, that's amazing. It's an accomplishment. It is something to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like it is not the norm to Mm -hmm. reach, you know, multiple six figures in in just a year. And also sometimes that messaging is a little misguided Mm -hmm. because they don't talk about what they were doing before that. Like maybe they had another business or they shifted, you know, directions and maybe they were at 99,000 mm-hmm. and, you know, we hit the six figures right after. You know, you don't know. You exactly. Know. So exactly. I try to not, I, I no longer look at those numbers as something to compare myself to, which is hard. It's something that I have to build that awareness of and Mm -hmm. to not, like I see it, if it makes me feel away, I'm like, okay, let me be mindful about this. How does this make me feel? Remind myself of all the things I just said. Mm -hmm. Um, But realistically, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience. And for me, it took me five years from start, like when I officially registered my business to where I am now running multiple businesses multiple six figures, but still a six figure profit margin. That's another thing to keep in mind is Mm -hmm. there's a difference between your gross numbers and profit margin. How much money are you actually taking home? Exactly. that people don't talk about enough. (laughs) Um, I mean, five years, depending on your perspective could be, wow, that's a long time. Or it could be, that's not really any time at all. 
-hmm. So it really just depends on your life situation and what you have going on and how much you can dedicate to your business. Because for me, you know, I don't have any kids right now. Um, I, I didn't have a ton of other financial responsibilities. I, I had already paid off the student loans. So that also wasn't something that I had to keep in mind. So it, again, it's one of those personal situations where nobody can wave magic wand and tell you, you're going to be this successful and make this much money <laughs> in just two years. Like I know it, like mm -hmm. there's not a magic formula for that. And I feel like we're conditioned to believe that there is just yeah. with all of the messaging out there right now. So it's, we're all on our own timelines and that is absolutely okay. You can accelerate that timeline and, you know, feel less pain <laughs> when you work with someone and skip trial and error. When you work with a business owner that is aligned to you and not like a fear-based, you, you know, when you're working with someone not out of fear, mm -hmm. it is very helpful. Mm -hmm. but I, I mean, yeah, the best that I can do is just share, this was my timeline. I, I it, Was it what I expected? No, like, I, I, yeah, I wanted it to be faster. I wanted to quit a couple of years earlier, but it didn't make any sense for me at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> it does. It is so different for, it is, it's so different for everybody. And I think that like, I, like there is a major difference between, um, I have worked in a specific field for a number of years. I have a lot of connections in this field. And now I'm going to start a business that is that expertise, just doing it on my own instead of for somebody else in a nine to five. There's that situation, which I feel like really speeds up results in a lot of ways versus, for example, like what I did where I was a writer for 10 years. And then one day I told everybody, I was like, I'm going to be a photographer now. And everybody was like, for for people listening to the podcast, like I got a lot of side eye. A lot of people were like, are you sure about that? And what, yeah. what a lot of people didn't see was like, I had gone back to school for photos for about a year. Um, but it really was whiplash for people in a lot of ways. And so it actually took for people to stop thinking of me as a journalist and start thinking of me as a photographer. It took uh, two to three years at least for me to just reestablish myself. And part of that's because I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know how to promote. I didn't know how to market. I didn't know how to do any of that 10 years ago, but it is, there's a lot at play there. And so knowing when the right time for yourself is to go into business for yourself or to decide, you know, I want to be a creative, a self-employed creative, or I want to be a freelancer that moment is going to be different for everybody and it's going to be highly dependent on what else is going on in your life. But I always like to tell people like have at least six months of emergency funds stashed away because as much as we want to think, well, I'm going to follow my dream and the universe has my back. That's true until rent is due, right? So, you know, you want to do both. You want to dream big, but you also want to plan financially and have some foundation underneath you and have a little bit of a backup plan because things rarely go the way that you think they will when it comes to running your own business. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And that is something that I did as well. I gave myself a year of runway. I said, okay, I had hit the point. So what made me leap, like quit the job was, first of all, the studio, but also I knew I was at the point in my business to where I could not make any more money unless I had more time. There was no way I could keep juggling these two jobs. So I said, okay, we're here. I physically cannot handle any more work. <laughs> I was grinding for a while. And sometimes we're in that season of life. I am not right now. Well, kind of, it, it goes back and forth. You know, sometimes we're flowy, sometimes we're grinding and it just depends and it's going to happen. But I gave myself a year and said, okay, if this doesn't work in a year, it's fine. I'm going to go back to the drawing board. I'll get another job and we will try this again and mm -hmm. evaluate what went wrong, what went right. How can we learn from this experience? And giving myself that time limit also got me really working because mm -hmm. I was like, I do not want to come back here in a year. How embarrassing would that be? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay. So this is exact. That's pretty much the same thing I did when I was switching from weddings into commercial work. I gave myself 
one year, I said, I'm going to show up every single day for a year, whether or not I think anyone's listening, whether or not I'm booking, whether or not I feel like it's working, I'm going to show up every day for a year and just talk about what I want to do and what I am doing, what I love doing and why people should do this. And I'm not going to give up on it. And then at the end of a year, we're going to evaluate. We're going to see what happened. And if it worked, it worked. And if it didn't work, we'll just be back at the drawing table. I want to say, and it, and it would be fine, but it probably would have stressed me out a whole lot, to be honest. And yeah, that was the sure. year, right? And that was the year where it did take until August that year, where something finally started to happen, where I could go, okay, this is working. Um, but yeah, just I, th- maybe there's something about dedicating yourself for a year, um, setting yourself yeah. up for success, for setting yourself up so that financially you're not super stressed the whole time. And then letting yourself show up for it for an entire year, super dedicated. Um, and really just, you just have to, you have to go every single day. You have to go hard into it and not give up based on current circumstances. Right. This is something that so there's someone I love. Her name's Allison Bird and she does thought leadership. And she talks about how like you, uh, and I'm, and I'm not going to say this, I'm not going to paraphrase this perfectly, but she has talked about like not making decisions from your current circumstances versus your future vision. And I think that's so valuable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard that before too. And I subscribe to that belief mm-hmm. so hard. That's such a good quote. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. current circumstances (laughs) are not permanent. Everything changes. This will change too. I was just saying this the other day because business is such a roller coaster in so many ways. And that I, we all, we often think like when we're at the top of the roller coaster, things are great. We know that that might not last forever, but we forget that when we're at the bottom and things are difficult, that's not going to last forever either. None of this is, none of this is static forever, which is scary, but also a little helpful in the trying times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I I feel like it's hard to see when you're at the bottom of that roller coaster because everything just feels so Mm -hmm. it's just rough because when you're an entrepreneur, the highs are higher and the lows are lower. So it, it, yes, nothing that can really prepare you for that until it happens to you. But yeah, just having that awareness and knowing like this sucks now, (laughs) but it's, Better later. <laughs> it's always better. It's always better. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, tell us a little bit about how people can work with you if they want photos or if they want education or information on how to run their business. Tell us about how people can work with you. Yes. So uh, for photo and video, emilykimphotography.com, that is how you can find us for East Coast or West Coast brand photography and videography. And for business education, you can find me in my free Facebook community using Facebook groups. It's called Profitable Creatives. Um, if you search for it, it should show up. And in there, I go live about once a week doing a quick like 20, 20 to 30 minute training on anything from you know business operations to marketing to mindset to systems to all the things that you can think of and that is generally um where i like to hang out and also on instagram you can always find me hanging out on instagram at emilykim.co and I'm around all, all of those places. I'm around. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being around here today. We really appreciate you on the podcast. This was such an amazing conversation. So you guys make sure to go check out Emily Kim, emilykim.co on Instagram, emilykim.co uh, website, emilykimphotography.com. Make sure to check everything out. Join the Facebook group, Profitable Creatives. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for joining me here today on Over the Edge podcast. Come back next week. And of course, like, subscribe, give me five stars. I would love that. Um, Help a girl out because I am new to this podcasting thing and I could really use the support. Thank you guys so much for being here and I'll talk to you next week.